This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Sound the gifting panic alarm. We've all been there. You need to find the perfect gift. You have absolutely zero ideas and you don't know where to start. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift Mode takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. Just answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like, and Gift Mode gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Imagine pages of artisan espresso mugs for the coffee connoisseur in your life. Or for the pickleballer, customized paddle covers in every shade imaginable. Etsy's got you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. This episode is brought to you by Huggies Little Movers. Huggies knows that babies come in all shapes and sizes, and your tushies do too. No matter what kind of butt you've got, you'll feel comfy while your baby's mushy little tushy wiggles and jiggles all around. Get your baby butt in the best-fitting diaper. Huggies Little Movers. We got you, baby. Tonight, more cases of the new COVID variant Omicron are confirmed in the U.S. President Biden outlined his strategy to manage a rise in infections in the weeks ahead. The president launches a nationwide push to get booster shots into nearly 100 million more Americans and urges families to get children vaccinated, plus a new plan for at-home tests. Possible charges? Will the parents of the 15-year-old shooting suspect in Michigan face criminal action? Tonight, we hear from a survivor. We were walking out with our hands up. There were silver bullet shells all over the floor in the hall. Looming deadline. As Congress faces another government shutdown, will Senate Republicans fighting vaccine requirements follow through on their threat? Breaking news from Los Angeles. An arrest in the shocking killing of the wife of a beloved music mogul inside their Beverly Hills mansion. How police tracked down the suspect after he shot himself in the foot. Help wanted. Could a shortage of construction workers throw a wrench into your plans to buy a new home? Hunger crisis. The worst famine in a decade ravages a country as children are caught in the middle of a civil war. And Atlas of the Heart, the new book from best-selling author Brene Brown and the roadmap to creating more meaningful connections. This is the CBS Evening News with Nora O'Donnell, reporting from the nation's capital. Good evening. Thank you for joining us. I'm Margaret Brennan, in for Nora. Tonight, the new COVID variant Omicron is spreading to a growing number of states. Moments ago, the governor of New York announced five new confirmed cases. It has also been detected in California, Minnesota, and Colorado. 
Since Omicron was first discovered by scientists in South Africa, it has spread to at least two dozen countries. It is now the dominant strain in South Africa where infections are spiking. The Biden administration today launched a new campaign to get more Americans a booster shot, part of a strategy to manage a surge of Delta infections that's already underway. CBS's Weijia Jiang leads off our coverage from the White House. Good evening, Weijia. Good evening, Margaret. Tonight, we are learning that four of those new Omicron cases are in New York City. Still, President Biden is stressing that he does not believe shutdowns or lockdowns are necessary right now. He was frank, though, about the potentially dark winter ahead, which health officials warn will include a surge in cases and deaths. My plan I'm announcing today pulls no punches in the fight against COVID-19. President Biden revealed his latest strategy to combat COVID-19 as the U.S. confirmed at least eight more cases of the Omicron variant, including a Minnesota man who attended an anime convention in Manhattan just before Thanksgiving, an event that drew about 50,000 people, and a woman from Colorado who recently returned from Africa. Both patients were fully vaccinated. She is uh, experiencing mild symptoms and is isolating at home. Tonight, preliminary data shows Omicron is almost two and a half times more likely to reinfect people who previously had COVID. Experts say the COVID-19 cases will continue to rise in the weeks ahead in this winter. So we need to be ready. As a new strain spreads, the president announced that all international travelers, including Americans and those who are fully vaccinated, will be required to get tested one day before coming to the U.S. And in a new effort to track cases, private insurance companies will have to reimburse people for at-home COVID tests. So far, they have been expensive and in short supply. Mask mandates will also be extended on planes, trains, and public transportation through mid-March. But vaccines are at the center of the president's plan. Hundreds of new family vaccination sites will open up, focusing on giving shots to children. And there's a big push to get people boosted. Go get it now. 71% of adults in the U.S. are fully vaccinated. But of those, only 21% have gotten a booster shot. Health experts say vaccinations and boosters are critical especially now that Omicron is here. It's probably already more widely spread than our early determinations have, have indicated. And it will spread further because it is highly contagious. As scientists scramble to learn more about the Omicron variant, tonight the White House says that nothing is off the table as they think about potential new travel restrictions. That includes vaccine and testing mandates for domestic flights. Margaret. Weijia Jiang at the White House. The parents of the 15-year-old boy accused of shooting and killing four fellow students in Oxford at a high school in Michigan this week could soon be facing criminal charges. CBS's Nancy Chen has new details tonight. We hear something that sounds like someone being punched against a locker, and we heard at least six more gunshots followed by screaming. As the attack unfolded, Oxford High School senior Catalina Ifkovitz credits her math teacher for springing into action. The shooter was right outside our classroom. He was able to shut the door immediately and get us all in the lockdown mode. He saved all of us. 
after police evacuated her class, what she saw stunned her. There were silver bullet shells all over the floor in the hall. Prosecutors say 15-year-old Ethan Crumbly used a semi-automatic handgun purchased by his father just days earlier in Tuesday's rampage. Four students were killed and seven other people were injured. Sir, do you understand all the charges against you? Yes, I do. Crumbly is now in a county jail charged with 24 felony counts, including terrorism and first-degree murder. It's a clear intent to execute a school shooting and, and kill students. Oakland County Prosecutor Karen McDonald told us she wants to hold anyone who could have prevented the shooting accountable. You had also mentioned the possibility of charging Crumbly's parents. Where does that stand right now? We are actively considering and investigating. And what could those potential charges look like? It went far beyond just a negligent parent. Investigators say the day before the shooting, Crumbly made videos about killing students. And just hours beforehand, he and his parents met with school officials about behavioral problems. And as students process what happened, chaplains have been here at the school where there's a growing memorial. Students are also gathering tonight at a nearby park for a candlelight vigil, Margaret. Nancy, thank you. Tonight, a possible government shutdown looms over Washington. Lawmakers have until the end of Friday to approve a short-term government funding deal. But they're running into resistance from some Senate Republicans who are protesting vaccine requirements. Here's CBS's Chris Van Cleve. Tonight, a handful of Republican senators are threatening to shut down the government in opposition to President Biden's mandate requiring most workers to be vaccinated. Courts have already put the vaccine mandates on hold, but Senator Roger Marshall of Kansas says that's not enough. I think shutting down the government is worth the risk to save those jobs in Kansas. They want to vote on a proposal blocking the COVID vaccine mandates, or they'll slow roll the temporary funding measure the House passed this evening. It would keep the government open through February 18th and provide an additional $7 billion for Afghan evacuees. Many Senate Republicans don't see any political advantage to this looming shutdown. And I don't see the, the, this hostage as uh, one that we should take. Yeah, I'm certainly against the mandate, but I'm not so sure that's the right way to go. President Biden said the government will stay open. There's a plan in place unless somebody decides to be totally erratic, and I don't think that will But the standoff could force a brief shutdown, temporarily halting pay to hundreds of thousands of government workers and funding to agencies battling the coronavirus, just as a new variant is rattling nerves. What kind of a message does it send to the American people that even keeping the government open is a struggle? We will get it done, and we will get it done in a timely fashion. We're not going to go for their anti-vaxxing, okay? So if you think that's how we're going to keep government open, forget that. Forget that. This will ultimately be more of a political stunt than anything else. And just moments ago, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said he thinks the Senate will be able to get something done, and they're going to be working late tonight trying to pass it. Margaret? And so will you, Chris Van Cleve. Thank you very much. Police in Los Angeles made an arrest today in a killing that shocked the city. Here's CBS's Carter Evans. This is one of the most protected and patrolled cities in the world. You will be caught and brought to justice. Police say 29-year-old Ariel Maynard is responsible for shooting and killing Jacqueline Avon, the 81-year-old wife of music legend Clarence Avon. It happened in their home in the wealthy Truesdale neighborhood of Beverly Hills at 2.30 Wednesday morning. Just one hour later, police responded to another shooting at a 
home in nearby Hollywood. She was in the house and collecting property, and then after that, somehow discharged a weapon and apparently shot himself in the foot. This video appears to show Maynard with an injured foot being wheeled away from the Hollywood home. Somewhere in the night, we had an astute watch commander at Hollywood that starting to put two and two together and reached out to Beverly Hills, and there were some similarities. Like surveillance video of the getaway vehicle seen heading toward Hollywood and an AR-15 style rifle found at the second scene the detectives believe was used to kill Jacqueline Avant. Today, the family of the philanthropist and former runway model expressed gratitude to law enforcement and said, now let justice be served. Police say Maynard had an extensive criminal record and he is out on parole. Detectives haven't had a chance to speak with him since he is in the hospital. Tonight, investigators have a gun, a car, and a suspect in custody. But what they don't have is a motive. Margaret. Carter Evans in Beverly Hills. Tonight, we're looking into one of the causes of America's housing crunch. The nationwide shortage of available homes is being driven in part by a labor shortage. Industry experts say more than 2 million new workers will be needed over the next three years to meet the demand. Here's CBS's Mark Strassman. And so right now, they're running the wire through the house. Developer Joe Atala builds houses like this three-bedroom, two-and-a-half-bath near Boise. And the good news is these guys are showing up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, these right. guys are on the job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because that's not true for everybody. It's not. America's builders face twin supply chain crises, a shortage of materials and labor. All trades. All the way through, you know, tile and sheetrock, roofing, all of those things Electrical. are Electrical. Electrical. Plumbing. <laughs> exactly. The industry says it now has up to 430,000 open construction jobs and will need another 61,000 new hires every month for the foreseeable future. We need to replace or place 740,000 people into the industry a year for the next three years. That's at crisis levels. This labor shortage began in 2008 during the Great Recession. Older tradespeople kept retiring. Fewer young people want to work with their hands. Then the pandemic nailed the door shut on training programs. It's not so much us telling the contractor when they need to show up. It's them saying, this is when I can show up. Is it going to get better anytime soon? The narrative's changing. Skilled trade jobs provide a great living. And college isn't really for everybody. That's the industry's hope. But for now, labor costs more, so houses cost more. The framer of this house, he charged Atala $6,000 more than six months ago. Mark Strassman, CBS News, Boise. We turn now to a civil war that has killed tens of thousands of people in the African nation of Ethiopia. The devastation has escalated into what the UN calls the world's worst hunger crisis in a decade, with millions facing starvation. Here's CBS's Deborah Pata. It started as an internal rebellion, morphed into an ethnic conflict, and is now a famine. Forced starvation has become a weapon of war, with hundreds of thousands of children in dire need of food. These images were filmed in October. Aid workers say it's even worse now. The World Food Program's Claire Neville in Addis Ababa told us they've been struggling to get food to the nearly 8 million people behind battle lines. 
we really need all authorities to allow us the access to reach the vulnerable populations wherever and whenever needed. Some areas haven't had supplies for four months. Trucks finally started going back into Tigray last week, but with only enough to feed under half a million people. We must get the food and nutrition assistance to people immediately to avert any further catastrophic levels of hunger. The conflict is intensifying. While the country's leader, Nobel Peace Prize winner Abiy Ahmed, has swapped his business suit for battle fatigues. Here, you see him on a satellite phone leading his troops. And behind the front lines, while the men wage war, the children battle starvation. It's difficult to gauge the real extent of the food crisis. For the most part, international media has not been allowed into the conflict zones. And in some areas, communication has been cut off altogether. Margaret? Deborah Pada, thank you. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car. It's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive. The hatchback that took you cross-country and back. And the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. After serving 43 years behind bars for a crime he did not commit, Kevin Strickland is starting a new life as a free man. Strickland, now 62, was released from a prison in Missouri last week. He's received more than a million dollars in donations to a trust fund set up by the Midwest Innocence Project. He's now planning to visit his daughter, who was only seven weeks old when he was arrested. In his first network interview since his release, Strickland tells CBS's Aaron Moriarty he's racing to make up for lost time. That I need to get going. I got things to do. It's time to go. Do you feel like uh, you've gotten a second chance? You got to fill it up to make up for everything you've lost. Yes, and they they try to tell me one step at a time, slow down. But they didn't miss 43. I did, so I got to go. Strickland also shaved off the beard he'd promised to remove as a free man. Tonight, Major League Baseball is in a deep winter freeze. For the first time in 26 years, team owners today imposed a lockout on players. The league's collective bargaining agreement with players expired overnight. Until a new deal's hammered out, teams won't be able to sign or trade players. The labor dispute also puts spring training and the upcoming season in jeopardy. A late-season wildfire tore through a Montana farming community, burning several homes and grain elevators that had stood for more than a century. The fire was sparked by fallen power lines. High winds fueled the flames, which quickly burned across drought-stricken fields. No injuries were reported. Brene Brown is the author of five number one New York Times bestsellers. Her TED Talk, The Power of Vulnerability, is one of the most watched in the world with 60 million views. Nora O'Donnell recently spoke with Brown about her new book, Atlas of the Heart, which maps out the language we use to describe how we feel.
You interviewed more than 7,000 people. And what did you find about how people express themselves? We asked everyone to write down all the emotions that they could identify in themselves as they were experiencing them. And the average was three. I can identify happy, sad, and mad. And I thought, oh my God, what happens to us and what happens to the connection that we have with ourselves and other people when we have to shove really diverse experiences and emotions into just three big buckets. Like what happens when it's actually not anger or sadness, it's actually disappointment, or it's more, it's even more profound than sadness. It's despair or hopelessness or, you know, anguish. You write about growing up in a very tough, suck it up and get it done and don't talk about my feelings family. I think many people can relate to that. I think the only emotion that was allowed was anger mm -hmm. because there was some toughness around it. So today I have to be really careful about defaulting to anger when I'm feeling different things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and you say that resonates for a lot of us. I think we live in a world where it's easier to be angry than it is to be hurt. How closely is understanding and naming your emotions tied to learning? and to growth. The more accurately you can name what you're feeling, the better you can regulate it, the better you can move through it. You can watch more of Nora's interview with Brene Brown soon on our 24-hour streaming service. On tomorrow's CBS Evening News, Steve Hartman is on the road with the story of a community that came together to save its beloved 130-year-old general store. If you can't watch live, don't forget to set your DVR so you can watch us later. That's tonight's CBS Evening News. For Nora O'Donnell, I'm Margaret Brennan. Have a good night. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Van Sant from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings.
Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts.